So let me say to you guys, Happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. This has been an Easter weekend. Tomorrow is Easter Monday, but this has been an Easter weekend like no other that I have experienced. My Easter weekends usually um, have family around. We have lots of pickled fish, lots of hot cross buns. But this year, it's, it's definitely had me focusing on the more important things about my faith. And, um, and so just like you guys, and probably the, the vast majority of people in our country, I have been keeping tabs on how the coronavirus has been spreading around the world and around our country, South Africa. And I was online earlier today and I, and I had again a look at the numbers and the current number of people infected worldwide is just over 1.8 million people. In South Africa, we have just over 2,000 people. We have 2,028 when I checked this afternoon. And then, they, then there's this, this other figure that they call the mortality rate or the number of people who have died so far. And worldwide, there have been about 110,800 people who have died worldwide. In South Africa, we've lost about 25 lives to the coronavirus. Now, I think what scares people more than the infection rate is this figure, the mortality rate. And I imagine that most people who have had a good, long, hard look at these figures must have, at some point in time, entertained the thought of possibly dying from this disease. And when we consider the information that we've, that we've read and followed up on, then we recognize that the chance of death is a real chance. And this evening, on this Easter Sunday evening, that's what I would like for us to meditate on for the next few minutes. Death. But death in the context of the resurrection. And so as we do so, I would like us to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I don't know if Josh has managed to get a slide up. There he is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 58. This is what it says. It says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Those were Paul's words that he wrote to the church in Corinth. 
What is your greatest fear? Now, when we talk about what our greatest fear is, we could come up with lots of clever alternatives, like your greatest fear could be failure, or perhaps it could be being exposed and people actually see what you really are like. Or maybe it's realizing your inadequacies in front of others. And then there's this other clever one that says your greatest fear is realizing that you are powerful beyond measure. But I believe that when we actually cut to the chase, the greatest fear that man has is death. And I think that there's something sobering and awesomely striking about the reality of death. And then also, it seems as though when I think about this topic of death, it seems as though most religions are motivated by the need to settle questions around death. And so people will ask questions when they experience death. And many people who are, who are losing family members right now through this COVID-19 pandemic are asking questions around death like, why him? Why did he have to die? Why did she have to die? Why now? Why like this? And there are many other questions that get asked. And then so many religions, I think, are built around answering these questions. So some religions might say, when you die, you will be reincarnated in a higher state or maybe in a lower state based on how you lived your life. And then there are others who will say, when you die, you will go to a place called paradise, or maybe you'll go to a place called nirvana, etc., etc. There are many different beliefs around this topic of death. And so I think religions all try to reconcile this question of death. Because I think in the minds of men, death is the only power that has control over people. Now, what I mean by that is that no one can stop death. No one can defy death. And even no matter how important you think you are, death has the final say. It cannot be resisted. Perhaps you may be able to delay death with good medical care. Or maybe you can delay it with some clever science. But the one thing remains certain that death cannot be avoided. It is the great equalizer. The Bible says in Hebrew chapter 9 and verse 27 that it is appointed unto man to die. And then there are many other scriptures that also speak about death. Where does death come from? Well, I think there may be in the minds of people, even believers, some confusion around this question about where death actually comes from. Now, death wasn't created by the devil. Death wasn't designed by Satan. 
God is actually the one who introduced death. When we read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, I don't know if there's a slide coming up. We see God saying to man, and this is God's words to man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. There it is. And verse 17 says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. <clears throat> now, these words were spoken even before the serpent comes onto the scene. And so when we read that, we see that it appears then that the capacity to die was already inherent within living creatures in the garden even before sin came in. However, death had no power. It was present, but it was present without the ability to kill. It is God who created and creates life. It is God who created and creates death, not the devil, not the deceiver. And so what happened in the garden is that God was actually saying to Adam and to Eve, if you eat from that tree, then you will activate, you will empower death, and then you will die. And so it appears then that death was present in the garden, but it couldn't touch Adam and Eve as long as they were obedient to God by not eating from that particular tree. It was one of those things that needed to be admired from a distance. Now, coming back to our reading in, in 1 Corinthians, it is clear when we read Paul's words here that Paul had come to the understanding of this principle and Paul, in a number of his writings in the New Testament, he helps us to get an even deeper understanding of death. But he does so in the light of resurrection. As someone himself who had overcome death through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul, as we read his writings, we see that he describes for us in the New Testament where death gets its power from. And then he also goes on and he describes for us how if you can understand what it is that gave death the power that it has over us, then if you can arrest that power, if you can remove that power from it, then death can lose its sting, in his words. Death can lose its ability and once again become dormant in the way that it was in the garden, in the way that it was in the beginning. Paul understood that death really is powerless. And the only power that death has is the power that was handed over to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking about the fact that death has been swallowed up in victory. And he says there, as we read, Oh, death, where is your victory? And then he cries it again, Oh, death, 
where is your sting? Now, these words that Paul is saying here is post-resurrection talk. Paul actually wrote this letter about 55 years after Jesus had died and risen. And it seems that Paul, as he's writing these words, he is daring death. You know, in our, in our African culture, you don't look an elder in the eyes when you address them. But it seems that as Paul is looking, as, as he's saying these words, he is looking death square in the face here. Death was powerful before Jesus came, but now Jesus has given death its own medicine. And then, Paul's us, then Paul tells us where death gets its power from in verse 56. He says, the power of death is sin. Death gets its power from sin. And so death receives its power, in a sense, from us through sin. And so man, in a sense, gave it life. And so it stands to reason then that if we could take away sin, sin which is the thing that gives death life, sin which is the thing that feeds death, if we could take that away, then death will once again become dormant. Sin is in a sense the ventilator that resuscitates and gives life to death. And so the key to destroying death is to remove sin. And in removing sin, thereby starving it of oxygen. The power of death is sin. Therefore, without sin, death has no power over man. Over the last two weeks, we focused on the topic of apologetics. And one of the questions that is asked routinely by unbelievers is why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God, if he is all powerful, just change his mind or snap his fingers and save everybody and spare us the agony of having to go through life in this broken world that has death in it. And I think the answer to that is that it is God himself who had established the ground rules. God himself established the nature of his relationship to man. In the garden, it was God who told man that if he disobeyed his commands, then man would die. And so God, being a righteous and just God, needed to stand by his word against a guilty human being. And so the punishment is that humans must die because of sin. Now, obviously, this is problematic. Now, in order for God, therefore, to solve this problem of man's disobedience, he had to have a man die. Not an angel, not a goat, not a sheep, not a bull. And all those sacrifices, 
they were not a complete mechanism to solve this issue, this problem of sin. And why? Because these were not men. These were not human beings. He had to have a man. If I commit a crime, I go to court, I'm found guilty, and it is I who have to take the punishment for my wrongdoing. Someone else can't take my punishment. And so it was man in the same way who rebelled, and so the price needed to be paid by man. There's a scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. I don't know if Josh could put it up. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, which explains this to us. It is. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, ye too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So because God so loved the world, he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him might not die, but have eternal life. Now when we think of all of that at this point in time, and we give it some thought, there's actually a glaring problem, and I hope that you can see it. If sin is overcome, if sin is defeated, then death has no power. Now, here's the problem. Jesus had no sin. Jesus was and is perfect. He had no sin in him. And so, for death to be able to kill Jesus... Jesus, our substitute, then Jesus, the perfect human being with no sin in him, needed sin in him so that he could pay the price that we could not pay. And the Bible calls this propitiation. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus took all of our sin upon himself. And he did so willingly because he loves us. And then God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. And then Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. And that, what, that is what Friday was about. But you know, there's something different about Jesus' death. And you know what that is? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 17, he says, verses 17 and 18. I don't know if there's a slide for that. But Jesus said, 
the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus' words. In Jesus overcoming death, Jesus didn't need to put up a fight. Jesus' divine nature remained intact. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down, Jesus said. And so it wasn't a matter of Jesus having to fight to come out of the grave. It was more a matter of death having to fight to keep Jesus there. In John chapter 11, we read the story of how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And just before he called Lazarus out of the tomb, one of the things that Jesus said was, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is not only the source of life, he is also the source of resurrection. Resurrection comes from Jesus. There is no resurrection apart from Jesus. And so here we are today, on Easter Sunday, 2,000 years later. And we find ourselves able to celebrate Jesus' resurrection power that dwells within us now, knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sins, knowing that we have become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And so, now today, when you next look at the coronavirus mortality rate, I want you to be reminded by the truth that Jesus has overcome that enemy called death. But as you do so, also keep in the back of your mind, as you bear witness of God's greatness, that where there is sin, death still has the right to kill. And so us as believers, as followers of Jesus, we must continue to work at introducing people to the resurrection. The resurrection is a person. And putting our faith in Jesus, the resurrection and the life, reminds us today that victory over death is more than a future expectation. Victory over death is a present reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have brought us to this day just over 2,000 years after what you accomplished for us on that cross. Thank you that through your amazing sacrifice on the cross of dying 
and of resurrecting yourself that we can today with surety say that we have overcome death. That we have in a sense overcome sin because of you. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you that because of that, today we can celebrate Easter. Today we can celebrate the resurrection. We thank you that he is our resurrection. He is our life. And even though we find ourselves in a difficult time, in a challenging time, not only in our history as a country, but in our history as a people on this planet, that we are encouraged, that we can stand on your promises, that we have a great and an awesome future to look forward to, of being in your presence where there is fullness of joy. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.